Pepperoni is good. That's just my personal. I didn't know if we had more online today. People would, but no fair weather Christians today. Absolutely not. Nope. Wow, I didn't know I had something to prove. It's sort of funny. This is just, and most areas of the country, this is just like a winter day. Here it's like, oh no, can you make it down to the, you know, to drive? Oh, and the news reporters are storm watch. Yeah. And this big, you may need your windshield wipers today and a raincoat. And then they have like five different reporters in different parts of the state. It's like, Roper the same way I'm a golfer. Really. But you're a good writer, not good. Yeah. Good writer. Hello online. I see um, Cheryl and uh, Robert, and then you, see, uh, Mimi, and then we don't see Nancy and Katie, but they're there. Hi, Katie. You see ya. And Marcia is Marcia. Touche. Um, I am. I am online today, but invisible. Okay. And, and shall remain so in the witness protection program. <laughs> I am in the witness protection program this morning. Yes. <laughs> We're giving uh, just people a chance to get some coffee. We'll start in a second. So I feel unhurried today. So there's that. I have a question that's not related. Well, I don't know. I just have a question I wanted to ask you. Yes. Um, can you uh, say what Jews in the Old Testament times thought salvation meant. So when in the in the Hebrew Bible when they talk about salvation, what is in their head? Yeah, it's a good question. It seems pretty evident that that, that salvation was largely um, in terms of God's favor in in giving them the land, being blessed in the land with, with fruitfulness and children, and probably dying in a good old age, seeing your children's children in peace upon Israel. There's no indication of, you know, the eternal dimension develops from there, but it, it doesn't, it's not heavily present at all. Um, so I think that's that's what they thought about. But they, many, I'm just thinking out loud here, like David in many of the Psalms, refers to the afterlife or refers to his soul going on. So there is that concept. Well, there, there, there's, those, there's that uh, concept uh, in in sort of prophetic sense of you will not leave my soul in, in, in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, for example. However, that, that psalm itself um, highlights the central conundrum of the Old Testament, which is because that's a psalm that presumes resurrection. You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor allow your Holy One to see corruption. My body will not decay. Uh And so since, and that's part of of Peter's sermon on Pentecost, you know, we know David's tomb's here, and to check it out, probably decayed. So so, um, the the, the problem, this actually, what Diane is highlighting is is something that uh, is important to understand, that life and blessing for the Jewish people was never understood apart from life in the body. So this is why resurrection is essential to the fulfillment of the Jewish hope. There's absolutely no sense that what we're really wanting to do is get out of the body and go and die and go to heaven. So the, the, the reality of the reality of um, of death, but also the reality the inability to enjoy the fullness of God's blessing in the body. And this is where, in our um, modern world, uh, other kinds of thought have crept into Christian faith. And so we get this idea that to be saved is, that means when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that when you die, you don't go, as New Testament says, to be with Christ or in paradise. But it, it, it means that that's not the final, that's not the fullness of God's blessing. It's always that Jesus, what happened to Jesus is the prefiguring of, of what will happen to us, which is though we are buried, he rose in a body on the third day, 
so we will be buried. But in our time after death and before the general resurrection, the last day, we are in that place of 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 Good Friday, not yet to Easter. Although although our condition we're we're given to understand is is confirmed in that in that this you know that is somehow with Christ, but it's pre-resurrection. And that's why we, and it's, it's the, um, it is actually the diminishing of the resurrection hope, which is so central to the faith, every creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body, life will to come. I look for the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. The hope is a restored creation, not, it's, it's Gnostic and Eastern to, to have the salvation that's disembodied. That's the, you know that the, the, the body is essentially bad, and we need to escape from it. There's something Buddhist about that, and and that desire is essentially bad. So you have to be um, that that ours is no life in the body is good. It's been it's it's been subject to sin. Desire is essentially good. It's disordered and needs to be reoriented back towards its end in God. So that's you know when we when we confess. The, what the flesh and that kind of stuff were confessing the disorder of a desire, but the answer is the reordering of it towards its true end and telos in God. And we get a new body, right? We don't have to have this old <laughs> We had a great argument once. So, what age will our body? Then there was a big argument that so we got. I got it. Uh, it was most largely women who were objecting on the. When we had the resurrection study that said that Jesus rose, he showed them the scars. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, we're not going to have scars on. <laughs> and, and, um, Leave it to the women. But I, 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 I think metaphorically um, that, and this is very something very important for the spiritual life, that your scars, not just like the wounds on your body, but the wounds of life, are some are the are the doors of entry for the crucified one, and through his presence they are transformed into, you know, sort of trophies. So in a sense, we will not lose our story, but it'll always be seen in the light of our Easter, what we've overcome. And and so that's why scars or wounds don't go away, and that's why it's this also um, it's worth discussing this a little bit because it, it's it's also why we're not um, Christian scientists or mere positive thinking people. Christian scientists, it's not fair. People just let it go. Don't talk about it. You know, uh, Jesus will come. Don't, I won't think about it. No, your redemption happens through your real life, and since your real story and works in your real story to change it so that you'll experience in terms of your real story. Some people want to escape from their real story and have a salvation that, that puts it all behind. Mm-hmm. And that's, that doesn't, you know, it's not, first of all, it's not real. Mm-hmm. So what, what's being saved then? Not you or your life, some, yeah. you know, and I mean, I get that all of us in a certain way would like some things not to have happened, mm-hmm. but reality means they have happened. I think about this a lot lately because, I don't know, it's just a meditation I have that, you know, when you meet, oh, I should have done that. Well, immediately, you haven't, and this is reality now. The only world that exists is the one in which we are now. And so the, so the continual embracing of God's presence in our actual lives as they actually are and experiencing the presence of Christ with us there is the essence of authentic faith. Thank you. All right. Well, let's uh, open our prayer, and we'll jump into Psalm 71, which is fun. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So Psalm 71 um, is um, a psalm with some contours to it, a psalm of, of petition 
Let me put my lights, camera on so people can see me online. Hey there. Thank you. Um, so let, let's read through it and we'll come back and, and unpack it from there. I'm reading it in again in the New King James Version. So if you have a different version, that's sometimes instructive. You see a different word, make a note, and we can talk about why it's different because there are a lot of translation issues that come up that are, that are significant to highlight. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given me, you've given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he that took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. I have become as a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and those who lay in wait for my life take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him, pursue him and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O oh my God, make haste to help me. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O oh God, you've taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O oh God, do not forsake me, until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Also, your righteousness, O oh God, is very high. You who have done great things, O oh God, who is like you, you who have shown me great and severe troubles shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also with lute I will praise you and your faithfulness, O oh my God. To you I will sing upon the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. They are confounded. They are brought to shame who seek my hurt. So what, what kinds of things do we see in this psalm? Any, anyway, thoughts? You know, you know, any thoughts just reading it through? Sounds like David. Huh? Sounds like David. It, it, it certainly fits some of David's things. Um, so what if we were um, thinking of a stage of life, what stage of life is this person maybe in? Seems like old, a lot of gray-headed, don't forget me, I'm gray-headed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to be that I'm already anticipating, I'm some young guy already anticipating that he's, he's there. Um, so um, is there a situation later in, I mean, I, we don't know this, but uh, is there a situation later in David's life and ministry that might speak of this? Yeah, when he rebelled against him and, and he's being chased out by all his enemies who conspire. Um, and um, what's interesting about that whole scenario, we talk about this with, um, with David. Um, I'm increasingly convinced that, that David, you know, we, we think about, yeah, I had this Bathsheba and Uriah thing, and so he could have been great, and instead he was this. Uh, 
I don't, I act increasingly convinced that David is meant to be for us the perfect penitent. Hmm. That, that, um, that he's the first biblical guy who makes a really good confession, who owns his wrong, and fully embraces everything that God brings upon him for that wrong. But the notable thing about the, um, about the circumstance is that if we look at the text, uh, David is confronted by Nathan and, you know, tells him a story. He says, you're the man. He says, yeah, yeah you're, you're right. I've sinned. And our tradition, the tradition suggests that Psalm 51, that penitential psalm, is David's reflection on this. Um, but immediately, um, Nathan tells him, your sins are forgiven. You won't die. So there's this juxtaposition of David's got to still live in communion with God, he can still pray, but he's still going to have to lose the royal palace and everything. There's going to be a, a chastisement, a suffering. He's going to have, he's going to have, um, uh, so, so he goes into exile, and it does seem like some of the prayers here are, are fitting in that, in that, in that setting. Um, always remembering that he has been forgiven. And this is something that we should note in our life of faith that when we're, you know, we're struggling through, we never know exactly why it is. Um, there are sometimes we are experiencing consequences of things we've done. Sometimes what might be some chastisement. Some might just be a random thing. We don't know that. We know from the Bible, like in stories like Job, that not everything is, you know, you did something wrong, therefore this is it. But, but you, we can always embrace it as part of what God is doing. And remember that it hasn't separated us from him. We can pray to him. And then if we, if we um, sort of juxtapose David, who, who was guilty and forgiven with our Lord on Good Friday, who was not guilty and similarly attacked, and, and the one who, who's by whose offering even David is forgiven, because it's it, we're told in the New Testament that, that Jesus is the, Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So every sacrifice that is propitious ultimately connects to that sacrifice. So I think that's a, yeah, I think that's, um, so perhaps David older. Um, <clears throat> so there, there's a lot of this sort of, um, And there's a lot in the Psalms too. This kind of uh, protection that we call uh, housing imagery. It um, the verse, first verse I put in you, I put my trust is really I, I, sort of I come for shelter. And you could have a situation here where the psalmist is, is envisioned as actually going to the temple. I'm coming to you. God's house for shelter, coming into the sanctuary. Um, and we'll note that the, the first line, let me never be put to shame. How does that, if we look, how does that relate to the last line of the psalm? Trusting. The last line of the psalm, verse 24. Who, who is brought to shame? Who are they? The who yeah, the enemies. So it begins with, don't put me to shame. And the end of it is, no, you'll put my enemies to shame. Yeah. So there's this kind of deliverance uh, motif that comes there. Could this have been written by someone other than David? Sure. We don't know. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know. But, it, but it's attributed to David. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a subheading of Psalm of David. Yeah. It seems, in the language, it seems... Like it's David. Yeah. It well, seems like the pain, the the shame of what he's done, and asking for forgiveness. It doesn't seem like it could be somebody else. It seems like it. It feels more like yeah. to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I got it. So yeah, it, 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 it but it, it, and well, we understand this then. I, the way for us to, as we discussed at the very beginning, we tried to discuss the sort of setting for the Psalms. Um, it is. David, it is the descendant of David Christ, and then it is us in Christ as members of his body. All those 
thematic things um, connect. So I think that's it's a good point there. It's it's the story of the Lord's of the Lord's anointed who is afflicted. It doesn't say that here. It doesn't use the word anointed, mm-hmm. but it, we can assume that this kind of thing. And because because there's um, there's the um, implication of God's favor. You know, I, I've um, from my youth, you've been my hope. How old was David when he died? Good question. I can't remember. Seventy-ish. Was he? How old? Seventy-ish. Really? Hmm. Is that literally from Hebrew? David <laughs> died. <laughs> I, I, I got that. <laughs> well, what I always tell people like it's like it's like when you're when you're in a situation like you don't know what to do with the serving at the altar. It's like act like you know because no one else knows. <laughs> So, um, he's old enough to know better. Yeah. <laughs> old enough to be gray headed. Yes, often wrong, but never in doubt. <laughs> so, verse two, deliver me in your righteousness. And there is this plea to God's righteousness and God's justice that he will vindicate his people. That's an interesting um, thing on the, on the um, mouth of David, a sinner, or the mouth of us, a sinner. It, it is why uh, C.S. Lewis points to sadness previously that the language of the Psalms is often asking for a verdict. Come, give sentence with me. Judge me. Judge for me. That's not language we typically, you know, we go to our prayers like, have mercy, you know, (laughs) forgive me. We don't like, come God and render a verdict in my favor. Uh, But in a certain sense, the whole drama of salvation being being, um, framed as vindicated by God, chosen by God, always has that dimension of if you're forgiven, God's, Judging in your favor, yes, I, 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 I let your sin go, and therefore you can, you, you, you're, you're, you can come in. When uh, Christians talk about justification, is that capturing the same thing as Old Testament vindication and New Testament justification? I think it's yeah, it's the same, it's the same range well, of meaning, and and I think um, yeah, it, that's essentially what yes, that's right. That's right. I, it's not always, I think it's flattened out <clears throat> in a lot of modern evangelicalism to mean, you know, I got a personal ticket to salvation, not necessarily the understanding the larger connection to God's people and Christ and the whole drama of, of the drama of redemption that goes through trials. And, um, the other thing about that, we, we, that, that with justification is um, often, in my experience of people talking about it, they, they present it as something because I once had something, you know, got this kind of insurance policy and there's no ongoing concern. And I think what that misses is the centrality of the life of prayer where the reality of justification is experienced anew continually in our ongoing relationship with God. And I think that's borne out in our psalm here. He's coming again to experience again justification, and he ends up with the renewed experience of it. And so I think what, what, why do I think this is so important is <clears throat> if, if your justification is an idea that you hold on to, but not an experience you live in, it won't really change your life. Well, I mean, it isn't like we just sin one time. I mean, we sin over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, Bad day so far. <laughs> <laughs> so I would think that we you have to continually. And let's let's talk a little bit about that, in, in because there's another. Uh, we can flatten out the Christian life into a rather. Um, <laughs> simplistic, yeah, we're sinners and we're forgiven and we're sinners are forgiven. It is true that we um, we always have sin. Um, what should be true 
in our life of faith as we grow is that um, <clears throat> we should, in a certain sense, sin less and progressively mm-hmm. grow into a greater ability to, to trust, to obey God uh, from the heart, never perfectly, but, but, um, but, but not just, so we, we're not this fatalistic, yeah, this is sinner, it's all I can do, and settle for the fact that we're just, and, and even our besetting sins, or we, best to call these besetting temptations, that is, things that come to your mind that you're, your, your growth will be how, how you deal with those better. Um, perhaps um, able to say no more often. Uh, and even the growth uh, in prayer would be something experienced as like, and also uh, accepting forgiveness more readily and moving on more quickly. Well, I think God had a pretty good plan. I mean, the older we get, the less... Well, if you're thinking about (laughs) sins of the flesh, uh, like uh, like lust and gluttony and things like that, that may be true. But but old age is no remedy for anger, bitterness, resentment, um, guilt. Yeah, all those things. So and and all those things take a different form. So I I I I actually think that that um, yeah, there's plenty of opportunity to. um, But I I also think. It's true that if we live in Christ, the real the real um, gift of aging is the invitation to let go. You know what to do. So if we do it if we do it well, we'll let go and embrace the work of God in our growing physical weakness, which then becomes can become an actually growing spiritual opportunity. To, to experience God's presence in new ways. Don't you think sometimes that people, they'll say, well, because we're forgiven, it, it sometimes people think it gives, because we're forgiven, it gives them a pass to, to be sinful. In other words, I'll go ahead and do this because I know I'm going to be forgiven. Well, that's, that's, what, I, that's, what, I, that's what I'm um, speaking against, and we don't advocate for that in any way, shape, or form. Oh, no, no, no. Of the faith. Because you think about that, let's, let's again think relationally, that, that you have a relationship with someone where, you know, you're close and you make a mistake, they forgive you, mm-hmm. but you don't think their forgiveness is licensed to continually offend them. <laughs> you, no. you, you, it's, it's so, so, and I think the other thing about, about the license to sin, it also, it, it just overprivileges this legal metaphor that, you know, that sees forgiveness as a, a judicial an abstract judicial sentence and not union communion. Mm-hmm. And the problem with the idea I can sin is when we disobey, we, we move further away from God. Right. And if you've been in a place of union communion, you don't want to lose that. So the real motive not to sin is you want to hold on to this, this union communion and not move outside into this where we're outside the realm of blessing, where we experience guilt, shame, and fear again. And there's never a guarantee we'll come back from that mm-hmm. if we do it willfully. Mm-hmm. Most of the, the you know, there, there's the, the allowance for our, our human weakness and, and things. There's not a great allowance for, you know, for willful planned disobedience that has an effect on the heart. So, so that's right. And, and this, is, it's, it, this is why the Christian life is paradoxical. And the... the, the all over the place, it's that way. It's why people resolve the paradox on either end wrongly, either to say, I'm forgiven, I'm getting what I want to do, or mm-hmm. become, no, you, you know, every time you sin, you're out of the grace of God, he hates you. Uh, <laughs> the, the reality is that we're always coming that back so. to, in our prayer, the reality of forgiveness, and we're in deeper ways. And that you, and out of that experience of union, we're to go out and hopefully live more faithfully today. Um, so I think if you see the relationship mm-hmm. is central and not the mm-hmm. policy, it will mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. us look at these things differently. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, Chef, I, I, I just I think when you go, you know, at the other end that God hates us. I think some of us, and for me, in the past, I heard that God was really angry. 
and you know he's he's ready to just let us have it but jesus steps in the way and kills him you know that sort of thing but it's it's like when yeah. you're when you're a kid and you you hear that that's that's kind of how i i took it in i know you know it sounds kind of crazy but um but i think there's a lot of people that think that way and te actually teach that way well i think i think the the sort of penal substitution theory of atonement again picks up an aspect of atonement, but not the fullness of it. And he gets down to this truncated, yeah, okay, God beat his son up to let us off, otherwise he really beat us up too. So he just God likes to beat people up. You know, or or and that's like and that does come across that way. If you and just, we, we, we have to avoid the sort of simplistic understandings. And that's usually what happens. I've heard the same kind of thing, Connie, and teachers will give this, yeah, see, we, we're, we're guilty, so God, you know, Jesus took it from him, and he nailed him, and we're free. <laughs> and it, it's not entirely false. It just doesn't get a full enough picture. And if you narrow it to that, then, you know, people listening will see your God just as mean. Mm -hmm. Because he really liked to nail you instead of nails the son, and now you, in the you know, it doesn't. Um, the um, the 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 better way to understand this, which actually I think translates into Christian life and something that I've sort of developed our ministry around, uh, is this idea of the remnant, um, which is that. the willingness or the ability of one to take on <clears throat> things for the benefit of the whole. Um, where do you, so you, you, and, and you get this with um, um, Abraham interceding for um, Sodom. Okay, if you find ten. Okay, so he's, but he is, He's positively trying to intercede to to take to to um, to elim eliminate the, the 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 punishment that would go to one because he he um, and it, it without going into we could do that in some other study but but it, it develops the Old Testament into the suffering servant of Isaiah where. Um, The servant uh, takes on the guilt of the community so that the community can benefit by his offering. And this translates for us into ministry in the sense that, um, that in a lesser and derivative but real way, when we're called to bear one another's burdens. And, um, and, and, so like in a community, if, if, if we're living together in a community and offend each other, which we invariably will, if I absorb a blow for the good of the body and, 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 and handle it graciously and work for redemption instead of seeking to, to strike back. So we're supposed to, this, this is sort of the vicariousness of each of us being a member of Christ's body in our various spheres of influence not responding to the evil with the evil, but with the good, and as we're taking upon ourselves some of the of the you know the, the weight of all of the sin, because we want the good of the other, which which is uh, so it's not so this doesn't have to be just God's nailing you and not them. It's it's you you do this in order that you can you do this because you want them to be to be saved now. But, and this we talked about in a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, in, 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 uh, we didn't get to the fourth Sunday in Epiphany this year where we had Romans 13 about the government being an avenger. But, but, but the sermon I gave on not, on not repaying evil with evil, evil with good, we have to be very careful about the framework there. <clears throat> Venge not yourselves, brethren, because it is, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. So the idea of our presence in this in this temporal and, and changing framework, uh, we are, are are witnesses for 
uh, wanting people to come to redemption, but there will be a day when, when things are judged, because vengeance of my support I will pay. God will righteously judge in his time. In the meantime, he'd like people to come. This plays out in the New Testament. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world and of Israel. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then, did God immediately wipe them all out? No, he sends church to preach, repent, some conversion on Pentecost. You know, um, the Eusebius tells us about St. James, the brother, like the brother, the brother of our Lord who, who was martyred in the, somewhere in the 50s in Jerusalem. He kept preaching and they wanted him to deny Jesus. He didn't, so they pushed him off the pinnacle of the temple and clubbed him to death. So there was a generation, hey, come. When they didn't, Jesus made very clear that the, the, the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was a consequence of their rejection of him. But God was patient. And, and, and so, and the church was the witness for Christ in the midst of that didn't itself strike back. And that's kind of the paradigm here of, of absorbing for the good, letting God judge it. So it's not, it's, 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 it's in that sense, um, It's justice, not bloodthirst, that, that, that motivates God. He must be a God of justice. And so the, 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 the suffering servant, the one who, who is willing to take on the, the, the transgressions of a whole people <clears throat> enables justice and mercy for, for people who have sinned. This is a loving act of the Son of God rather than a, you know, a, a vindictive act by a father who's... It's kind of fun. I, I have found it's kind of fun when somebody flips you off <laughs> to just uh, smile. It messes with their mind. Well, he calls a fire on their head, as, as St. Paul says. He's calling Proverbs there. Uh, but it's interesting how if you don't respond um, to, and what we're dealing with there usually is what we call our natural reactivity. You know, we, so if we can manage that and, just, and not act, we can, um, yeah, and it's disarming. People like, like, oh, but that's the witness. That's the witness. That's always but been um, the thing about the church that people said, what? You know, so, um, and this is, this is the, the power of the martyr's death in the early church. Um, the church would gather around and they'd pray and the, and the person would die heroically. And so the power of Rome to frighten people didn't seem to frighten these people. They didn't stop doing what they were called to do, even though they had to die for it. Oh, and, but, but neither did the church get a program of revolution to unseat the unjust Caesar, God in his good time. And we have a conversion of Constantine a few centuries later. And, and so I think that's something that, that we have to take to heart now because you know, I think in the West we're just so politically involved. We don't understand that um, there's not, a, you know, you can't, you, you, it doesn't mean you don't vote for people you like and all that. It just means that's, no none of these going to bring in the kingdom. And, and God is going, and if, if, if his people will be faithful, God will, will vindicate them. And if we have that witness, that's really how this whole thing will be, will, will be, you know, worked out. Not by responding, not, not by getting, you know, there's no evidence of the, they say, well, they have power to do that. Well, I don't know, by the early 300s before Constantine was converted, there's about 3 million, 4 million Christians. Probably could have. And then you have another warring faction to add to the world of warring factions. So, um, yeah, so I think that's important to, to understand that penal sub. It's, it's the Lord taking on for us in love what belongs to us and freely restoring us to fellowship around the Father. That kind of nasty, take a out of your flesh or two. That's more, not all you deserve, kind of thing. Okay. 
so verse 2, I want to introduce something here. Uh, <clears throat> Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to save me. Now, um, and we get down to verse 4. Uh, who are we delivering from? The hand of the wicked, the hand of the ungodly and cruel man. And Back down in 13, when he gets into the more imprecatory thing, let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Now, don't run with this too far, but the word for adversary in Hebrew is Satan, which becomes Satan. That's the force. And so <clears throat> I, I think the whole courtroom scene, what I want to draw is a more um, cosmic picture that takes on manifestations locally and 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 the I think the place to really draw this out is Revelation chapter 12 and um, verses 7 through 12 so I'll just read them uh, feel free to, trick to turn there but um, so it says in the Revelation chapter 12 verse 7 says and war broke out in heaven Michael and his angels, this is Michael the archangel, and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, that is the dragon and his angels. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. That's a significant thing here. So the great dragon was cast out. Who is this? We're told. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So, okay, garden, all those things are brought in by, by, this, by this text. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then he heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, this is the word that we're going to get, but the accuser of our brethren, this is what the psalmist is dealing with. He's, he has an adversary who's accusing him. And he wants justice from God and he's taking shelter. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Now, here's, here's something, that this next verse. Um, Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. <clears throat> now, um, so, in the, in the cosmic drama, the, the accusing voice is associated with the evil one. <clears throat> and the evil one has has two roles, biblically, preeminently, uh, is to tempt and to accuse. To draw you into the, <clears throat> to the wrong and then to turn on you and say, see. <clears throat> um, there's another thing about this in the psalm that I think is significant that... Um, In verse 4, it, it talks about the unrighteous and cruel man, and it's, it, it's the cruel, some like bitter, soured man. Um, so there, there's a psychology in which humans sort of reflect this psychology of evil in which um, one's own sense of grievance, injustice, bitterness, anger leads one then to act out towards others and rejoice simply in the downfall of of others for the sake of for, for the sake of and it, it, it and it doesn't have a rational basis to it and this is why people say oh, this is mass murder i don't understand what the motive was <laughs> like like you would oh now we know <laughs> this is why you would do that 
it's, it's usually some bitterness that caused you to act out in temptation. <clears throat> and, and so, um, so the psychology of the evil one, who we're told from the beginning, the mythology is that the devil, Lucifer, was a chief angel <clears throat> who was jealous of those above him, chiefly the Son of God, and wanted, you know, to um, change places. And when it didn't work out, his grievance is, I have a right to be done. I, you know, bitter that I didn't get what I wanted, bitter that I got what I do. All those things that an unrepentant heart has. <clears throat> and um, all those things are um, contrasted with the... Um, the position of, 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 in the Bible, the righteous, the Lord's anointed, who accepts exactly who God has made him or her to be. It's funny, I, uh, online, I, I saw it last night in the class. Whenever I go like this, I get balloons oh. on my, on my screen. So they were saying, I was, I was teaching a class last night and I, I did this quote thing. And every time you got, I'm not getting balloons now, but I'll get some more balloons later. Um, <laughs> um, but, but the, the, um, so the righteous then is, is the one who accepts life as a gift from God, accepts all the contours and limitations of that life, including what God brings upon us, and trusts in God, takes shelter in God. And so, um, this is a cosmic contrast that then is manifested, you know, in the megadrama of Israel and in the small drama of our lives, where we're struggling to obey and be faithful, and there's an accusing voice, <laughs> a tempting voice, and we listen to it, and we fall in, the tempter becomes the accuser. Um, but what's interesting here, in, in this, because in this psalm, um, he says, uh, be my refuge where I may continue to resort. Um, and we talked about verse one, trust, protection in the temple. In, 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 it says here in chapter 12, that rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, literally you who tabernacle in them. And this is not suggesting a future state, but a current state. And then woe to you, earth, the sea, those who are outside of the tabernacle of God, who are, it's in Pauline language, under the influence of, of the devil, not because they're always doing continuous evil, but because they're not connected to God, they're not protected. They're, 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 and, and so we, so, so when we're talking about we already dwell in the, in what is the tabernacle metaphor in the body of Christ, church, the, that's the, the place we symbolically experience that when we come into a building where we all gather. The, the metaphor of building helps us to envision it, but the lack of a building doesn't eliminate that we dwell in heaven and that our accuser has been thrown down. So in the language of the psalm, when he works it through to the place of he knows, okay, I'm, I enter back into that shelter of my of God and my prayer. I experience his presence, I you know, and, 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 and that I leave then again with the experience of vindication because this, this drama has already been thrown down. He's, the accuser has no case against us. And... Um, another verse that um, has, has struck me, um, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but I just introduced it maybe when Pentecost comes. But our, our Pentecost gospel uh, is, um, um, well, the couple of passages of John's gospel, Jesus says, I, um, um, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you also may be. Um, and 
he says on Pentecost that, that when the comforters come, you know, the, the Father and, and, and the Son, will, he will make our, his home with us. So what I'm suggesting here is this coming again and receiving us to himself is not entirely a second coming verse, but is a reality that we already experienced in the Spirit that we already dwell with Christ. And when you read like Ephesians where he says he's raised us up and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ. And then we look at Revelation and we see um, the 24 elders around the throne worshiping in the presence. These are all images of now. To be sure, there's a, you know, a, a telos, a completion, but it's not a future thing. As the psalmist experiences this now as, as a function of prayer. And I think the only way to experience offered like this, we come and ask God, we confess again, yeah, what's wrong? Get that out of our lives, experience again the cleansing and the and the and the freeing, so that we now we're now in God's presence. Then we can go. And, and what does the psalmist do here? What's, what's his, what activities does his uh, justification cause him to engage in? To praise God. Praise God. Mm-hmm. And, and to, what else? And to remember his, his uh, goodness and mercy towards him from the past and carry it forward. <clears throat> Other things in the psalm? Recognizes beauty. What was that? His beauty and his uh, strength and um, protection and provision. Recognize what he's done. What will he? What will he do with that knowledge? Tell it. Tell it. To testify. This is what God has done. Yeah. So so that so that the psalmist is going to praise and I, I and, and he says that even right. It says. Um, um, Now, when I am old and gray headed, God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. He, he wants to hang on to, to bear witness to what God has done. Do we ever have? And that's, this is the true impetus for evangelism. It's not a program you learned in evangelism class. It's your own experience of what God has done in your life. And letting other people, this is what I, this is what I know. That clearly is testimony. That's that's yeah. I'm giving testimony. I've witnessed this. And you find people that really want to listen. Now, I mean, <clears throat> most of the time when I bring something up, nobody wants to hear it. Well, I I, I would say I I I would say in general I I've, I've discovered this. If if what we're bringing up is, let me argue with you about God and prove you. But if I say to you, here's what I've experienced, you know, mm-hmm. through my own prayer, I've experienced these kind of things. And this is what I've, I think I've seen. No one can argue. They can say, wow, you're just it's your imagination. That's fine. I don't think, you know, but they can't. No one can say that what you've experienced, you haven't experienced. <laughs> and, and this is also why I think in terms of, of, of contemporary mission and evangelism, the reciprocal idea that if we really want to um, share faith with somebody, we first have to listen. What's your story? How have you experienced life? And 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 then we can be a witness who might draw them into something. Might not be you know a point of sale. You accept Jesus, your personal Lord and Savior, right now. It might be kind of pray for you and pray for God to experience something. They can experience God in their life in a way. It may not depend upon how clever we are in our, um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes we have to forget, we have to remember that, um, that, uh, you know, God is God and, and he does things. And we don't have to do everything. I had a little, I'll, I'll share something. It's kind of the but I was in Colorado last weekend and we're trying to get this mission community going. And I'm, uh, uh, there's this priest and his wife. I want him, them to move there and be in North Carolina from there. It'd be a big old deal. And, and uh, I keep thinking about how I'm going to, so I'm, I'm, sure, okay, I'm, I'm going to write a letter and explain to them what I'd like to see. And, and he called me on Monday and he, he spent um, 
the last night there at the home of, of the Myers, and they'd actually talked to him about their sense of vocation and call and how they'd like his wife to come out and stay with them, and they already were planning that. So I called the debrief, and I'm one of the things like, oh, it reminds me, I don't have to, you know, God does things, we don't always have to control them. He's at work. And sometimes I, I sometimes I mean, for me especially, I have to learn to, oh, it's like a, and, and as a, so that was some, but that happens that, that God in witness, God can work in people's life. We're not, so we, we can be present. And I think a lot of evangelism is undermined by representing anxiousness that like, okay, I need you to believe. And if, if, if you don't, I'm, I'm threatened by it. So I have to argue you into it. And we start arguing, you get defensive because I'm not listening to you, you're not listening to me, and welcome to our culture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. And that's a patient relationship building thing. Because remember the testimony is also well, I don't think there's a God who listens. Okay. Well tell me about that. And if you become someone who listens maybe for a while, hmm. You're a witness to a God who listens. But if you don't listen and argue, you're testimony to God who doesn't mm-hmm. listen and argues. <laughs> it's, it's funny how, it's not funny, but it, I mean, it's just kind of paradoxical that the way, the way the Lord can work through you in a circumstance when you're not like aware that that's happening, like when my, mm-hmm. I, I lost a son, you know, I, you know, he's not lost, I believe he's in heaven. But when he died, um, I was with a group of people, a small group of people, and the one, this one lady said to me, how can you be so calm, or you seem to be like at peace? And I said something to the effect, well, I know where he's at. And she kind of looked at me like, because obviously I guess she wasn't a believer. And she looked at me with kind of a closer. I said, I know he's with the Lord. He, he accepted Christ as his Savior, and I believe he's with the Lord. And so I have a peace about it. Mm-hmm. And she just, she wanted to talk then. Yeah. But it was it was out of, not me trying to evangelize her. It was out of my circumstances that she had the question. And that's the most beautiful gift, I think, that... Mm-hmm the Lord can give us at a time when we least expect it. You know, we're not expecting him to to be there at that moment. When we're suffering in a way that seems so personal, but yet it touches other people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that is the witness is how you handled a, a very uh, sad death of a son in a different way than most people would. And and that's a witness. Okay, you're, you're, I see something different here. And um, it's also, I think, which which is is it speaks to the juxtaposition of of hope and sadness. It doesn't mean you weren't sad about it, right. or you weren't mourning. You'd have a season to process that, but that didn't mean you didn't believe. Right. And I think that's another thing in our culture, with the Psalms being very emotive, that oftentimes it, it's presented that oh, just cheer up. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's right to be sad about things that are sad. It doesn't mean you lack hope or that you aren't dwelling in heaven, you're 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 experiencing the reality of, of the contours of life, you know, that, that are that are real. Right. And I think that's a significant thing. And I actually think that truncated faith of where emotions of pertain to real life are skipped is a reason that faith isn't very compelling to people. It just seems make believe or you know it doesn't it's not a way to touch what, what I'm actually going through. Because most people are going through things. Mm-hmm. We're not in a time where life is simple. We're in a time where most people are struggling with something. Uh, does this God have anything to say to that? So, um, we see this again in, in the psalm here that um, There's, we, I've noticed in a number of these psalms, there's a sort of change in, in, in tone and mood somewhere mid, um, 
a couple things to highlight here. Uh, first of all, he recalls the, the enemy. His enemies speak against him, pursue him, take him. Sometimes it feel like that where people have stacked up against us. Uh, Praise to be not far from me. Um, but, and then it's a very it's a very minor imprecation here in this psalm. Some psalms uh, really uh, go on about what we want God to do to our enemies. This just says, let them be confounded and consumed to our adversaries. Um, but verse 14 then goes, but I will hope continually and praise you. <clears throat> and this praise suggests an assurance of the positive verdict, even though the outward appearance of that verdict is not present yet. So that so that there's a joy in the midst of 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 the of the suffering itself. And I think this can only be cultivated through prayer. As we experience God with us in the thing and begin to see, you know, get some uh we can praise God for his and I think I think about that a lot in terms of praise and thanksgiving that there's a a difference between praying for God to take things away and remove the troubles with us, and which we do some for sure, but they don't all go away. And and understanding that God is present with us in them, and when God is present with us in them, we can praise because that's the real that's the real benefit of the incarnation and the salvation is that Emmanuel, God with us, and. So in our real lives, therefore, are connected to this realm. We can hope now in the midst of it, and we don't have to be saved from the from the temporal circumstance to know the grace and mercy of God and, and to praise Him continually. <clears throat> and and this is um, a a New Testament um, framework here. With like, so for example, Paul singing in jail in the Philippian jail after they've been beaten and chained singing hymns and converting the Philippian jailer. But the idea, the praising there is not masochism. Lord, thanks for the, you know, great to bleed all over the place. <laughs> it is praise God because he's with us here. We're going to be delivered. and we're, We are vindicated and justified. We know that despite the temporal setback. And I think that's the thing as Christians, we need to think about cultivating that sense of hopeful joy in all of life. Um, and then a uh, couple closing notes that uh, just that, that the end result is, is the assurance that God will put those who um, who judge us to sh- who, who accuse us to shame as he has cast the accuser out of out of heaven where we where we live so your thoughts and one other thing I noticed in the psalm was how he mentions that he'll be revived again and brought up from the depths of the earth. Yeah. The yeah, there is that kind of resurrection and brought up from the depths of the earth would mean, again, resurrection. Mm-hmm. So whenever you see this implication in the Old Testament of, of life beyond, just I don't deny that it's there, but I deny that it's a die and go to heaven life beyond. Right. It's always, you'll bring you back up, you'll restore me to this thing. Which is which is uh, that's that's the Jewish hope that the, that the old covenant falls short of, and it's the build in our Lord who who recapitulates the experience of Israel in his own life. All right, there's a lot there. <laughs> so we'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord bless us and keep us. Lord make His face to shine upon us. Be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. Good to have everyone here today. Thank Good to see everyone online. Robert, Marcia, Katie, Mimi, Cheryl, Jim and Phyllis, Constance, and Mimi. Two Mimi's. Yes. Thank you so much. It was great. Another great, another great time. It's great to see you, like on a rainy day, we showed up in person and online. It's a great, 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 great. Well, Mike,